Welcome to MoneyWeb at Midday, the actuality news show, offering unique insights and in-depth analysis, featuring South Africa's top business leaders, newsmakers, and analysts for today's professionals. Your host, Jeremy Max. Live every weekday at noon and then as a podcast, you're with MoneyWeb at Midday. I'm Jeremy Max. I've got 30 minutes of express news on developments here in South Africa and around the world, including interviews with business and political leaders, prominent newsmakers and top commentators. Today's program is sponsored by Peregrine Capital, South Africa's first fund to reach more than 100 times your investment since inception. It's Monday the 30th of October coming up on the programme, the impact of the Rugby World Cup win on South Africa's global reputation. We'll look at the President's remarks about a public holiday in this respect and ask what it says about our fiscal thinking. Analysis on warnings that SA Inc. could run out of money, is there any truth to this assertion? Doctors Without Borders on the growing humanitarian crisis in Gaza and fears of disruption as matric exams begin this week. Before we get to the harsh reality of this week's mini-budget, let's prolong the weekend happiness just a little further, shall we? After beating the All Blacks in the Rugby World Cup final, the question now, I guess, is what impact is this or could this have on our global reputation? And perhaps more importantly, how can we leverage it a lot better than we did after hosting the 2010 Football World Cup? Janine Hills is with me now, a recognized expert in brand reputation management. And Janine, first up, how can we strategically use this win to enhance brand SA better on the global stage, do you think? Hi there, Jeremy. Always wonderful to connect with you, and thank you. Thank you so much for today. I really nice to chat with you for a change. I haven't chatted to you in, an, in a long while, so thank you. Um, you know, Jeremy, leadership to me is one of the things that really comes through. Um, this undoubtedly, you saw a leadership team of the executive of the, the, the actual rugby squad, and of course the bomb squad, as they call them, um, and of course, then you have the captain and the rest of the team undoubtedly were leaders. So my taking is personally out of this has really been phenomenal authentic leadership on different levels. They've been honest with us. They took us through the journey of the, the pain that they were going through. We saw the, the, the pain that they were going through physically. Um, but the honesty, the integrity, their commitment to the sport, but more importantly to the country, you could see that. Um, the commitment to us as a nation undoubtedly will come through. The consistency and their reliability and their dedication. Now, those are incredible leadership lessons, Jeremy, and I'm sure you'll agree, to be brought back into our country, that every single one of us play a role. So that each and every one of us, no matter how challenging the adversity that is faced, this Springbok squad proved to us that mm. no matter how big the adversity do what I mentioned before, and guess what? You will win the Rugby World Cup. And that's to us. Clean the pavement. Treat the person next to you with respect. Be honest with integrity. Let us stop the, the, the issues that with the, the money laundering that keeps taking place and the corruption that takes This is about a team filled with integrity. And you know what I really loved about it? You could see the genuine care and love in that team. And that's what we need to harness. The way you love yourself 
is the way you're going to treat the person in the queue next to you in the bank, whether you're staying in a queue in a, in a, in a, in a retail store. We've got to bring our own moral compass back in the lessons that this team has actually been teaching us. The important thing, of course, and the key word that you've just used is harness. And uh, the difficulty, of course, is going to do that and internalize all that positivity uh, to the South African population before we can even think about externalizing it. I agree with you. It always starts from the inside. You build companies, you build countries from the inside out. So it does start with us. So, yes, do SMMEs have a responsibility to allow the employees um, the time to celebrate and to be happy and to get those serotonin levels up? Jeremy, yes, we must allow our employees to have those happy days, those, those moments to shine. Because why? It will impact on the bottom line. But business also, larger corporations, need to encourage that, bring back the patriotism, bring back the South African flag, bring it into your marketing material that you're using. We do do that very well, Jeremy. We do. But what we need to do is bring it back, the, the patriotism. Allow every single person living in, in South Africa, not only South African born and bred, but everybody to unite. And so it's our speak that we need to watch ourselves, how we speak with each other, shift the language from being negative, which we often are, to being more positive. What can we do? What will we do? What are we going to do rather than, oh, but it's somebody else's responsibility. Oh, but it's load shedding. Oh, but it's this. Guess what? There are certain adversities that we all need to grow, learn, and develop from together. And I think this rugby team undoubtedly taught us that journey. There's no doubt of, uh, about that in my opinion as well. But one of the big problems, of course, is... Uh, dealing with the cynicism and the scepticism that is going to exist. Wednesday, we have uh, the mini-budget coming up. It's going to inevitably be a litany of, of bad news. The challenge, of course, is to make sure that that glow that you talk about lasts longer, both internally and on the international stage. Uh, Janine, easier said than done, I would imagine. Incredibly challenging. I couldn't agree with you more. And, you know, people have said to me in the past, oh, well, you've got rose-tinted glasses. You know what? This is my country. I love my country. Let's start with what you feel about your country, what you feel about people and fellow South Africans. It starts with me. Then it starts with one's family. Let's start treating each other with respect. And why is this serious, Jeremy? We have the highest GBV terrible stats in the world so start with you and me how do we treat each other how do i treat my brother my sister and the colleagues at work just quickly if i may what really helped what what, what really lifted me up was straight after the the game you won't believe who the first person was that phoned me after we'd won my domestic helper phoned she was over the moon that the springboks were the kings of the world that told me that we were doing something right, that something had shifted in this last month. We can do this. The fact that we've shown unity, now let's carry that through. Continue treating your domestic helper with absolute respect. Starts at home mm. and then bring it into the workplace. There's no difference between a CEO, a chairman, or a cleaner in a business. And that's why leaders, leading with authenticity, through the adversity, 
inspire your leaders, inspire your workers to do more, to appreciate what they've got, because we have so much positivity in this country. We tend to get clouded by the negative stuff and allow it to rule us. Let us start focusing on the positive. And you know what, Jeremy? Miracles happen like winning the World Cup four times in a row. All right, Janine Hills, I'm going to leave it there. Thank you very much indeed. Uh, Expert, as I said, in brand and reputation management, worth uh, referencing a line from the well-known commentator Nick Headley, who's also been on this program before. Uh, It gives us, he says, a glimpse into the future that we might want to have. You're listening to MoneyWeb at Midday. All right, back to reality, though. The finance minister, Enoch Godongwana, has warned the country that it could run out of money by March next year if spending in the country's debt crisis is not brought under control. This week, he's set to deliver the medium-term budget. Economist and commentator Dr. Lumkili Monde is with us now from Wits University here in Johannesburg. So, Dr. Monde, first of all, what does running out of money mean? So the minister is talking to a different audience the audience in his constituency politically that believes that uh, there is a honeypot uh, at the Reserve Bank uh, and therefore we can print money uh, from the Reserve Bank and enjoy uh, the, the, the largest that we've seen where money has not gone into uh, infrastructure and other purposes it was budgeted for. So basically, he's saying to them that we need to um, make sure that we count, we account for every penny, because if we don't do so, we might have a financial and fiscal crisis. So he spoke, he's speaking completely mm. to, to, to that audience. Uh, I don't think that he means the way you understand it, because at the moment, even though government uh, is highly indebted. Uh, I think the domestic market is still willing to support government and finance its uh, daily and weekly uh, borrowing requirements to fund its expenditures. So, Lumkili, there is a political tone then, as you say, to that warning that he's given. But nonetheless, there is a a very worrying situation facing the finance minister ahead of this week's medium-term budget. What options are open to him and is increased borrowing on the cards, do you think? I think we cannot really do much but borrow more. Uh, remember, Jeremy, that our economy is underperforming. Uh, so if you get 0.7% for this year, we'll be very, very lucky. So with the economy underperforming, the commodity cycle okay, being uh, very, very low uh, means that our exports are underperforming. Remember that the mining sector has really been exceptional in paying taxes and making sure that can buoy uh, South African government finances. So that sector struggling and the rest of the economy really facing increasing prices and companies uh, having to retrench quite a number of people uh, given the cost structure in South Africa is very, very high. It means that uh, basically, if we're gonna maintain existing programs of government, we have to cut expenditure as we cut expenditure, also to borrow more to sustain those necessary and important expenditures, given less revenue collection that we see coming from SARS. Of course, borrowing comes always with very onerous conditions, though, doesn't it? It does. But in this case, uh, Jeremy, it's about what the money is used for. So if the money that we're borrowing is used to consume, that is to pay government salaries, 
it's not going to help us at all. What we need to do is that we must be borrowing to invest in infrastructure because that infrastructure will then uh, help businesses by lowering costs of doing business in South Africa and in doing so make businesses more profitable and therefore more revenue coming back on that spend that was done by government some years ago. So it is that type of, of borrowing for that you want and expect the minister to do, that he is going to be borrowing for investment, not borrowing uh, to pay public sector salaries. And if he does that, I think the markets and many of us will be very sympathetic to his planning when the medium-term expansion mm. policy statement comes out this Wednesday. Where do you see potential to cut fat in this budget, if there is any at all? There isn't much, really, Jeremy. We know that the easiest way uh, was to cut public sector employees, uh, you know, as the state is now privatizing quite a lot of some of its function, including the SOEs having also do likewise, because we know that many of them don't have money. So as we take away some of the private sector, as such as the announcements by Transnet in relation to the coal line, that the coal line can only be salvaged by private sector. So then it means that Transnet has to cut a lot of those numbers that it has and relocate the responsibilities to private sector. And then, therefore, it will need less support from government. So it is those areas where I think government can be able to cut. Overall, really, there's very, very little space, particularly given that there's an election. So you would like to temper with anything that talks to public sector employees or even to some of the social uh, support programs that you call social wage such as the usual 350 grant and other pension support schemes, because those are critical uh, on the eve of the election for the ANC to get support so that it can be able to get 50 plus one and remain in power, not in a coalition. Just a final question then, even though we are into an election cycle, is he going to gently lay the groundwork uh, this week for an increase in taxes and possibly VAT? I think he's going to do that. Uh, I think he's aware that there's a lot of of strain drain at the top uh, paying taxpayers. A lot of them are living for greener pastures. So the only way is to spread the burden across all South Africans, not to target the rich. And I think you lay that ground so that in February he's able to increase the VAT. Because the other taxes that the left is talking about, such as wealth tax, is too difficult and too costly for government to administer. But also the return... Once you put administration, the collection will be so low that's not worth it. So a purpose tax uh, system, ensuring that everyone pays to support government, I think that's the way to go. And that that, that ground will be laid out on Wednesday when it releases the midterm, the midterm budget policy statement. Lum Kilimonde, thank you very much indeed. MoneyWeb at Midday, for all your up-to-date stories. The Basic Education Minister says security measures to prevent matric papers from being leaked have been improved. Elijah Mahlanga speaks for the Minister. And first up, do you believe you can actually prevent leaks? Yes, we believe we can prevent leakages because since the incident of 2020, we have not had any such similar incidences of papers being leaked because we made improvements that we've been reluctant to speak about. Um, But what we can say is that the assistance of state security has been of great help because we have not been able to see a similar occurrence. So what we've been dealing with in the last year, in the last exam, was a situation of uh, a school teacher opening the papers before the required time. 
that is what has been taking place. But from printing to to transportation and storage, all of those things have now been addressed to the extent that we have not seen a repeat. What's also concerning is the police say more boots are going to be deployed on the ground that uh, will stop uh, what they call violent protests from uh, taking place uh, in order that learners won't be deterred from writing the exams. In what respect is security being improved and why is it necessary to do that? Well, it is necessary because, Jeremy, the metric certificate is a very important document. The minister was even saying this morning that even if you have your doctorate or multiple master's degrees, when you apply for a job, the first thing they ask you for is the metric certificate, which means it is the basis for all your educational achievements that you are going to have. So because of that importance, we feel as a country we need to work together to protect its integrity and its credibility. That's why the state is investing resources to make sure that we protect it. So in this case, protests have been a high risk to us. We will recall that in the Whitbank area, there were seven schools who could not ride last year. They had to ride another date, which created additional mental problems for our learners who were already under pressure because of the impact of COVID and all of those things. So we are working very hard to bring in other organs of state to help us, especially in those aspects which are out of our control. But from our own side, we work together with the provinces to install technology devices and other methods that can help us to alert people working in the system that they can't cheat anymore, they can't steal question papers anymore, they will be found and that they will be dealt with. It's also very sad and maybe even an indictment on South African society that some matric pupils have got a right under police guard. It is. It is very sad because it means that some members of the community don't respect education broadly, but that they don't recognize the importance of metric exams in particular. And that's a problem. That's why we are appealing to all members of society, wherever they are, to understand that uh, these young people have been waiting for so long, some up to 12 or 13 years to exit the schooling system with a good pass at metric level. So if you are going to jeopardize the chance of them doing that, then you are creating more problems, not for them, but for your own community, because we rely on them to take us to the next phase of development as a country. So we really need to get to that point in time where everyone understands that education is the one thing that we need to debate fix together and protect. No one's doubting the importance of the matric exams, but uh, again, it's regrettable that many matrics go into this process this week with a lack of foundational numeracy and literary skills or literacy skills. That's a failure of basic education in South Africa, isn't it? It's a failure of the whole country. I'm saying this because some of them are kept at home are not sent to ECD centers until they are much older to start grade one. By that time, without any ECD exposure, you are working from a huge deficit. So that then compounds the problems that we have in in the sector. So what we've done is to have the ECD function moved from the Department of Social Development, who don't specialize in education. It's now with the Department of Basic Education, the right people for it. And then we, through the Bella Bill, are saying the formal grade for starting school should be grade R. And that's what we are trying to legalize now in terms of uh, amending legislation 
so that we can budget for it and resource it appropriately. So we are fixing the foundations of education, but also focusing on other matters such as reading as well, because all those together form intellectual resources that a child needs to have for them to be able to progress later in life. The minister can't be satisfied with the state of teaching this year, and I'll refer you to the SACMEC 4 report, which revealed that just under 30% of teachers are actually uh, functional uh, when it comes to analytic reading. Uh, That's a problem, isn't it? It is a problem, but I think the report you referred to is an older report, but let's forget that. So here is what's being done. Tomorrow, the Director General is hosting a colloquium with all the universities and other institutions of higher learning in South Africa. Reason being that it is them who train teachers on how to do their work in schools. So we are now addressing the problem from source. It is them who are responsible for curriculum structuring and the practical component which they need to be exposed to as part of their training. So tomorrow at West University, we are addressing that very matter that we are raising, focusing on teacher development, focusing on teacher professionalism and focusing on teacher training. Elijah Matlanga, thank you very much indeed. Top stories to keep your eyes and ears on. Today, the organization Doctors Without Borders is calling for an immediate ceasefire to prevent more deaths in Gaza and allow desperately needed humanitarian supplies in. With us now is Claire Waterhouse, Head of Operations Support Unit at Médecins Sans Frontières. Firstly, can you describe the current situation in Gaza? Thanks, Jeremy. Yes, we're extremely concerned about the situation there right now. Uh, Since Friday, we have seen that the bombing has intensified significantly all across the Gaza Strip. We are seeing that the north of Gaza is almost completely razed to the ground, but the whole strip is being hit and civilians have no place to take shelter. We're very concerned because hospitals are running out of supplies. They're completely overwhelmed with very, very few staff. The staff who are there are exhausted. We are seeing and hearing from our staff on the ground that things such as amputations and surgeries are having to be done on the ground in corridors with little to no anesthesia. Uh, which is obviously absolutely terrible. So we are calling immediately for a ceasefire. We are asking that this stops, that world leaders take more action um, and that there is immediately a way for safe passage of humanitarian supplies to get into Gaza for us to be able to provide more support to the people who need it most. More specifically, can you explain to me how MSF is responding to these dire medical needs that you outline? Absolutely. So we have been in Gaza, operating in the Gaza Strip since uh, 1989, providing all sorts of medical care, particularly supporting hospitals who have been very overwhelmed there for a long time. You'll remember that there's been a blockade for about 15 years now. So we've been providing quite intensive support for at least 15 years now. But at the moment, what we have is a situation where we are unfortunately quite limited in our activities and unable to coordinate our activities as we normally would because of safety concerns for our staff. We have approximately 300 staff in Palestine at the moment. Some have chosen to evacuate down to the south of Gaza and we are supporting them the best way that we can. And others have chosen to stay in the north of Gaza and continue to work and carry out life-saving activities there. And we are continuing to try to support them as best we can. Primarily, they are working in Al-Shifa Hospital at the moment, but we are essentially trying to support wherever we can. Obviously, we are also running out of supplies and really 
urgently need to get more supplies in and a guarantee of safe passage for our supplies. And we have teams on standby waiting near the Rafa crossing for as soon as any kind of safety, guarantee of safety is given. We have these teams ready to go and supplies ready to go. Uh, in some slightly good news for us, we were able to send 26 tons of um, of medical supplies yesterday to Egypt, where through the Egyptian Red Crescent and the WHO, and that is all for facilities in Gaza, but we need delivery ASAP into Gaza, obviously. That 26 tons can cover 800 surgical interventions, which is obviously only a drop in the ocean at this point, but would be a huge support for us. So yet again, that's why we're calling for the ceasefire so that our humanitarian aid can enter the Strip. You've just mentioned the Al-Shifa hospital. We know that Israeli military orders have been issued to evacuate all hospitals, including that institution such as it exists. What are the implications, do you believe, of of an order like that? For us, those instructions are not only impossible, but very dangerous. The hospital is currently completely at full capacity. We've got thousands of people streaming in every day. Um, people's, there are hundreds and hundreds of patients seeking medical treatment and tens of thousands just there for safe shelter as well, not necessarily needing medical care, but unsure where else to go. There is nowhere to run or hide at the moment in Gaza. Um, and under international humanitarian law, which is how we operate as MSF, Patients and healthcare workers and facilities should be protected at all times. And we do not believe it is possible at all to evacuate Al-Shifa at this time or any hospitals on the Strip. Um, we are aware that there are normally there are about 3,500 beds uh, available throughout the Gaza Strip. Obviously, the urgent needs of injured people far exceed this at the moment. Up till now, we believe there's been at least 19,000 people injured. So as you can see, uh, evacuating any hospital hospital would simply uh, just decrease that capacity as well as be completely logistically impossible. Today, South Africa is calling for a rapid protection force to protect the civilian population in Palestine from further bombardment. Would that help in some way alleviate the problem? I can't comment exactly on those specifics, but anything that would enable us to protect civilians, protect healthcare facilities and allow safe passage for humanitarian needs and aid and supplies to get into the Strip would obviously be welcomed by MSF. I'm wondering if you can elaborate for me very briefly on the specific challenges that your staff are facing on the ground, particularly when it comes to pregnant women, the elderly, children and those trapped under the rubble. Yes, absolutely. So those people that you've just mentioned are specifically very vulnerable. They're unable to move as easily, unable to get to medical care and have urgent needs. And what we're seeing is that there's there it's just extremely difficult for even more vulnerable populations like that to access medical care. And we believe, of course, everyone who needs it should be able to access medical care. And we, we are seeing that all people in Gaza, all civilians at this time, but especially those vulnerable groups you just mentioned are really struggling to do so. And that is leading to even more uh, suffering, death, injuries, etc. The siege at the moment that is happening Obviously, there are the deaths caused by the strikes, but then there are the deaths will be compounded by the siege because, well, what we're seeing now is situations where our medics on the ground and and others are being forced to choose who they can treat or not treat. People do not have food, water, medicines to treat treatable things, you know, so standard things like pregnancy now become completely uh, dangerous and, and life threatening. Claire Waterhouse, thank you very much indeed. 
You're listening to MoneyWeb at Midday. He might have been joking, but the potential negative impact has again raised debate on this issue. President Ramaphosa suggesting that if South Africa won the Rugby World Cup, he might declare a public holiday. That has since been dialed back. But economist Davi Root is going to weigh in now. Do you think, firstly, it reflects a broader attitude towards public holidays in this country? Uh, Jeremy, yes, I think we've got too many public holidays in South Africa. I've got a bit of an ideological problem with uh, with public holidays, but the reality is that it's costing us a lot of money. The South African economy is hardly growing. I expect economic growth about half a percent or less this year, the same for next year. If you look at the number of public holidays that we have in South Africa, we compare, well, we've got a little bit more than average most countries in the world. And uh, the lost production per public holiday is anything between, say, 10 billion and 25 billion. Let's call it 15 billion loss production every day that we have a public holiday. And ideologically, I'm against this uh, because I don't think it's a place for politicians to declare public holidays. I think that should be left to the employers and, and employees. They can decide if they want to have a holiday on a specific day. And remember, for example, if you look at South Africa's religious holidays, uh, those are mostly Christian religious holidays. In fact, all of them, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, and I think that is just not the place for politicians to decide on things like this. It should be left to the, to the private sector to decide which days the employees can have off and which not. So how do you do that? How do you reevaluate the process? Maybe we can have one or two public holidays, maybe a national day, one or two national days, that's it. And for the rest, you can just leave it to the workers and the employers to decide uh, what days to to have off. In fact, if you look at a day like today, for example, where the Springboks had a wonderful weekend and we're all very happy about that. I know of many cases. I mean, I was at the meeting this morning and I know of many cases where the employers say, listen, you guys take it a little bit slow today. It's a a day to celebrate and let's have a good and a jolly time today. And then people actually want to go to work because they want to get together and people... When, when people are happy, like what most of us are today, they want to be together, and even if, if it's in a work, work context. So, so the employers in South Africa, I think, try to accommodate their employees in a way to make them feel well, happy, and satisfied to be being part of South Africa. Davi Ruth, there seems to be a disconnect, though. On the one hand, you have the president, albeit that he was joking about adding another public holiday. Yeah. Simultaneously, we're in the week of the mini-budget, where the finance minister is warning about cash flow problems and essentially saying that if we don't get things right, if we don't turn things around, we could run out of money by March. Yeah, it just maybe a little bit a different angle to looking at what's been happening over the weekend and the, and the Springboks and all that. There's, a, there's an index called the Happiness Index in South Africa. Uh, and the Happiness Index, well, the last uh, two weeks or so, the Happiness Index has been moving in the right direction. People have been getting happier and happier. And I won't be surprised if the financial markets are going to react quite positive to what happened over the weekend. And there is a strong correlation between sentiment or then happiness and how the financial markets react. But I'm afraid that's probably going to be short-lived because there's another event this weekend. That's a so-called mini-budget of the medium-term budget policy statement by the Minister of Finance. And, and I can't see how there could be any good news in that statement of the Minister of Finance. The state's finances are in very, very deep trouble. Revenues under tremendous pressure, because mostly because of lack of economic activities. And there's huge pressure on the expense side of the Minister of Finance as well. And there is a, there's a looming election next year. And politicians don't want to do the right thing 
ahead of an election because then people tend not to vote for you. What needs to happen is for the Minister of Finance to cut back on state spending, and he simply can't do that because of the elections, and that means he will keep on borrowing money. And we are heading, if we don't make some uh, take some drastic actions, we are heading for some serious trouble in South Africa. We're going to get into some financial crisis in South Africa if we continue like this. The, the fiscal accounts have become unsustainable. Is he going to lay the groundwork, do you think, for a rise in taxes? I don't think an increase in taxes will be the right medicine. The only tax that we can bring in a real additional amount of money will be an increase in value-added taxes. And even after the election, I don't think the politicians will do that because it's a regressive tax. And anyway, you're only going to get about, say, 40 or 50 billion if you get you get approximately 25, 30 billion for 1% increase in VAT. The other taxes you can't increase. You can't increase company taxes. That will make us very uncompetitive. You can't really increase personal income taxes because we are over the so-called Laffer curve. If you increase taxes further, people will just keep on emigrating. So I can't really see of any significant tax increases that can make a significant difference to the finances of the state. The only thing that we can really do is to do something about the expense side, but that's also going to be extremely difficult to do. Perhaps the state-owned enterprises is the place where we should uh, put the emphasis and try to spend less on the state-owned enterprises or perhaps even sell them off. That could make a bit of a difference. But an increase in tax, I'm afraid that is not really an option. So you think the rugby euphoria is going to wear off on Wednesday afternoon? I'm afraid to say, yes, I think that's going to happen. I can't see how there can be anything but bad news in a medium-term budget policy statement of the minister. Davi Ruth, I'm going to leave it there. Thank you very much indeed. Today's program is sponsored by Peregrine Capital. Invest in 25 years of performance. Invest at peregrine.co.za today. Peregrine Capital is an authorised financial service provider. T's and C's apply. MoneyWeb at midday. We are live at noon weekdays, then as a podcast. Thank you for listening and goodbye. Listen to the daily live stream of MoneyWeb at midday or download episodes on moneyweb.co.za, the MoneyWeb app, Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Or follow MoneyWeb News on social media for more updates. MoneyWeb, your trusted source for business and investment insights.